Hi, everyone. Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. <laughs> My name is Asha, and um, it's really great to be up here. I'm really honored to be able to speak with all of you today and share some stories. Um, it's been a minute since I have taught up here at ECV, and as I look out, there's lots of folks whose faces I know, and there's lots of folks whose faces I don't know. Um, so I thought I would reintroduce myself, and I really hope that I can get to know more of you in this coming year um, as well. So this is my family. Um, my husband and I moved to New Haven 16 years ago after spending several years living abroad in Turkey and the Middle East. Um, originally from California, we relocated here to the East Coast to help start a nonprofit that did interreligious and interfaith dialogue and leadership development. We got swept up in what God was doing here, planting ECV at the time. Matt and Hannah invited us in, and uh, we have been so grateful to call this our community of faith for these past many years. Um, my husband went on into teaching, I went into ministry, and now into nursing, and we have been raising our family here. Um, that's Rob, my husband, and these are our three daughters. Oh, and also, they wouldn't let me forget the dog. <laughs> um, one of the great honors of my life um, was serving as family pastor here for several years. And one of my favorite things to do during that time uh, was to read picture books. If you have been around at all uh, in Sprouts, you know um, that I love a good picture book. Large group time with kids downstairs, read a picture book. Coming to my house for an MLK celebration, read a picture book. Uh, logging in during COVID lockdown for Sunday Sprouts, read a picture book. Um, so given the opportunity to speak to you all now, it's only natural that I read you a picture book. So just settle in. If you haven't had the chance to have someone read to you in a long time, like a storybook, I hope you enjoy it. It's kind of special. Um, so I will be reading one of my favorites, The Story of Ferdinand by Monroe Leaf. And as I do this, before I do this, actually, I'm going to pray for us. God, do draw near to us today, and let us draw near to you. Give us what we need today, our daily bread. Be a sweet aroma here that fills this space, Jesus. Give our minds and bodies and hearts rest in this place. Let us glimpse you, Jesus, and would you fill our hearts with love and courage as we seek to walk with you. Amen. All right. So I'm going to have to kind of, I'm going to need your help a little bit, Micah, because I'm going to be reading from here and then flipping the pages. All right. Once upon a time in Spain, next page, there was a little bull, and his name was Ferdinand. All the other little bulls he lived with would run and jump and butt their heads together. But not Ferdinand. He liked to sit just quietly and smell the flowers. He had a favorite spot out in the pasture under a cork tree. It was his favorite tree, and he would sit in its shade all day and smell the flowers. 
Sometimes his mother, who was a cow, would worry about him. (laughs) She was afraid he would be lonesome all by himself. Why don't you run and play with the other little bulls and skip and butt your head, she would say. But Ferdinand would shake his head. I like it better here, where I can just sit quietly and smell the flowers. Oh, you can stay, go back to that last one. His mother saw that he was not lonesome. And because she was an understanding mother, even though she was a cow, <laughs> she let him just sit there and be happy. As the years went by, Ferdinand grew and grew until he was very big and strong. All the other bulls who had grown up with him in the same pasture would fight each other all day. They would butt each other and stick each other with their horns. What they wanted most of all was to be picked to fight at the bullfights in Madrid. But not Ferdinand. He still liked to sit just quietly under the cork tree and smell the flowers. One day... Five men came in very funny hats to pick the biggest, fastest, roughest bull to fight in the bullfights in Madrid. All the other bulls ran around snorting and butting, leaping and jumping, so the men would think that they were very, very strong and fierce and pick them. Ferdinand knew that they wouldn't pick him, and he didn't care. So he went out to his favorite cork tree to sit down. He didn't look where he was sitting, and instead of sitting on the nice, cool grass in the shade, he sat on a bumblebee. Well, if you were a bumblebee and a bull sat on you, what would you do? You would sting him. And that is just what this bee did to Ferdinand. Wow, did it hurt! Ferdinand jumped up with a snort. He ran around puffing and snorting, butting and pawing the ground as if he were crazy. The five men saw him and they all shouted with joy. Here was the largest and fiercest bull of all, just the one for the bullfights in Madrid. So they took him away for the bullfight day in a cart. What a day it was. Flags were flying, bands were playing, and all the lovely ladies had flowers in their hair. They had a parade into the bullring. First came the banderilleros, with long, sharp pins with ribbons on them to stick in the bull and make him mad. Next came the picadores, who rode skinny horses, and they had long spears to stick in the bull and make him madder. Then came the matador, the proudest of all. He thought he was very handsome, and he bowed to the ladies. He had a red cape and a sword and was supposed to stick the bull last of all. 
Then came the bull. And you know who that was, don't you? Ferdinand. They called him Ferdinand the Fierce, and the banderilleros were afraid of him, and the picadores were afraid of him, and the matador was scared stiff. Ferdinand ran to the middle of the ring, and everyone shouted and clapped because they thought he was going to fight fiercely and butt and snort and stick his horns around. But not Ferdinand. When he got to the middle of the ring, he saw the flowers and all the lovely ladies' hair, and he just sat down quietly and smelled. He wouldn't fight and be fierce no matter what they did. He just sat and smelled. And the banderilleros were mad. And the picadores were madder. And the matador was so mad he cried because he couldn't show off with his cape and sword. So they had to take Ferdinand home. And for all I know, he is sitting there still, under his favorite cork tree, smelling the flowers just quietly. He is very happy. The end. <laughs> I love that story. We have been in a series entitled Walking with Jesus. And knowing this was Palm Sunday, this story immediately came to mind as I was thinking about our passage today and about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and his entrance into the city. Maybe you can see some of the connections. <laughs> Ferdinand isn't interested in hurting anyone. He's totally innocent. I don't even think he knows. I don't think any of the bulls know what really happen at, happens at a bullfight. It's actually pretty horrific. This is a sugar-coated version with being stuck last of all, right? <laughs> Perhaps uh, Ferdinand is simply naive. Ferdinand's journey to the bullfighting arena, a place that was actually designed with the bull's torture and death in mind. Ferdinand doesn't fight back, doesn't even defend himself which is offensive to many sensibilities. In fact, this sweet children's book um, was banned in some countries for uh, propagating a pro-pacifist agenda. Yes. But let's get back to today. <laughs> today, Palm Sunday, is a day we remember when Jesus, also innocent, but not naive about what was about to happen, made a journey and entered a place, a city, where the prospect of violence directed against him was about to become a reality. Let's read today's passage together. As they approached Jerusalem, this is found in Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are doing this, say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. 
When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. There are basically just three things I want us to think about today. Maybe God is also speaking other things to you through worship and and all that we've already (laughs) experienced together today. But here are some things that stuck out to me. Walking with Jesus means going to uncomfortable places, even places of suffering. We might be scared. He is with us. Love lines the way. Walking with Jesus means living an entrusted and unguarded life. Walking with Jesus is full of surprises, even in the hard stuff. Be curious about where and how God will show up with love and goodness. We'll go back over all of those. This one, I feel like over the past several weeks, we've talked about quite a bit. Walking with Jesus means going to uncomfortable places, even places of suffering. We might be scared, and he is with us. Love lines the way. We've been looking at what it means to walk with Jesus, and I think we've got the idea that walking with him involves a cost. It could be being like a child, giving up all you have, going towards a place of suffering. As followers of Jesus, As people who are seeking to listen to him and love him well and join him in his work in this world as imperfectly as we do that, I think we need to own this, that walking with Jesus means walking to Jerusalem. And whether we feel fear or amazement about that or dread or disgust or sorrow, this is part of what it means to embrace Jesus and be where he is. Walking with Jesus means coming to that place, not just heading towards it, but actually making your arrival there as well. I was not raised as a Christian, but came to know Jesus as a teenager and was sort of astonished by my own decision to follow Jesus. Have any of you experienced that where you're like, I can't believe this. (laughs) Can't believe this. This has happened to me. Um, and, and, or for anyone else's, for that matter. And so I, I, as a teenager, was throwing myself on Jesus, declaring my faith in him, but also kind of surprised and taken aback when I would meet others who also were believers. So I remember in college meeting other Christians, and in hushed tones, I would sort of be like, do you believe it too? <laughs> like the whole thing. Like there's a God, and he loves us. And then Jesus, like that whole thing, like the crucifixion. And people were like, yeah, I believe it too. And I was like, oh my gosh, can you believe this? And even in my young faith, I knew and heard stories of people who had given all they had in following Jesus. I knew, at least in theory, that suffering was a normal part of the Christian life. And even as I knew that loving and following Jesus could lead to places of suffering, it hadn't really been realized for me in any meaningful way. 
I was like the disciples who were with Jesus as he talked about heading to Jerusalem, as he talked about the suffering that was to come and that he would have to endure, and sometimes even about what they would have to endure. And I don't know if I really believed it or not, but I still wanted to be with Jesus. The more I saw of who he was and what he did in my life and other people's lives, the more I trusted him. And then one day he called me somewhere I really didn't want to go. I was living in Northern California, going to college, meeting my future husband, <laughs> and trying to put some of the tumultuous years of high school behind me. You see, I had a close family member who had struggled with alcoholism for most of my life, but it was especially severe in high school. There was never abuse or anything like that, but addiction of any kind can destroy lives and relationships. I'm happy to say that this person lived in recovery for the last decades of their life, but back then, they were still in the throes of it and needed help. Specifically, they needed to move out of their house in Southern California and into a recovery program. You'd be right to question um, my decision to help, um, healthy boundaries, enabling behavior, all of that, but I felt very strongly that God was in this with me and that Jesus was the one saying, it's okay, go down to help. I'll be with you. This felt like a road to Jerusalem kind of experience for me. I remember the long drive down Highway 101 in California by myself. And once I was there, well, it was even harder than I thought it would be. And yet, Jesus was with me. Love compelled me. His love for me, his love for this family member, and somehow even my feeble love that I could muster. He even gave me, God did, a reminder of his presence. The chair. There was a chair in the kitchen as we were packing up. It just seemed like an extra. It didn't fit. And the first time I saw it, I felt like God was saying, that's for me, I'm there. I'm seated right here with you, and I'm not going to leave you. I can still see that chair. I think of it like a promise, even in a very bleak place, where every action felt like just a slog, like it was just so hard. He was there. A year ago, I had a chance to make, almost exactly a year ago, I had the chance to make another long journey, this one across the ocean to Germany. I was taking our eldest daughter to live and go to school there for, for three months with family friends of ours. It was um, a joyful and very, very sad journey. It was joy-filled because I was so proud of my daughter for taking this big step. I was excited for all the things she was gonna experience. And of course, I was super sad because I was anticipating saying goodbye to her for several months. Um, but it turned out to be even more difficult for her <laughs> because uh, the European strain of COVID, whatever it was at the time, was like raging full force in Germany. Unbeknownst to me, this was the one thing I apparently did not check on the New York Times COVID <laughs> dashboard. So Germany was having its biggest wave yet in the pandemic. To make a long story short, the journey back home went something like this. A very sad, tearful, possibly with me sobbing, um, at, like at the security line, you know, where they're like, come on, ma'am, like, let's just move it through. And then my bag gets chosen to be like specially opened. And then they're going through all my stuff. And I'm like, I just, 
saying goodbye to my daughter. I'm just trying to get to, you know, and I'm still waving and I'm crying. And they're like, ma'am, why, you know, why do you have so much chocolate in your bag? All of this. So it was, it was a lot. So this parting at the airport, then my flight gets canceled after I've already landed in Amsterdam. I have nowhere to go. I can't get back to New York. COVID symptoms start appearing while flying and stranded. And then I had an emotional breakdown in my hotel room as I desperately tried to study for a midterm that I had to take in a couple days that I mentioned this was in the middle of nursing school also. Thank you, Katie Smith, for FaceTiming me and praying for me and helping me to get through it. It was just rough. I'm not saying this to say how hard I had it, just that it was rough. And by the time I got home, I felt like I had been through the ringer. I needed to process a lot. I came up for prayer here a week or so later, whenever I was free from quarantine, and I asked Josh to pray for me. I told him about the ordeal and how hard it had been and how I didn't think I had handled it very well. I kind of freaked out and I kind of lost my stuff. I don't remember all that he prayed for me or all he said, but I do remember him saying, well, this journey was for love. Would you do it again for your girl? He asked, of course, I said. Walking with Jesus means walking roads that take us to Jerusalem, those places of suffering. But it also means walking roads that, that could, could be lined with love. A few weeks back, Josh quoted a passage from Hebrews um, that says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. If joy pulls him forward, then I'm willing to bet that love compels him from all sides. Maybe these roads that we're on, that you're on, and church, I don't know all of you, and I don't know all of your stories, but I'm willing to bet that each one of us has our own road to Jerusalem that we're walking, and each one of us has our own destination that we have arrived at that is a place of suffering. Could it be that these roads might also be lined with love? What road, difficult though it may be, is God calling you to walk for the sake of love? And what destination have you arrived at for the sake of love? It didn't take away how hard that journey was, but it reframed it completely for me. It was fuller now. Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> but there was so much love, I would do it again. People, let's be people who are compelled to walk the roads to Jerusalem, to arrive in Jerusalem for the sake of love. Walking with Jesus also means living an unguarded and entrusted life. This one is a hard one for me, and maybe for, for many of us. But think back to that passage of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Heck, think back to Ferdinand <laughs> entering Madrid, right? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, many believed this would be his triumph, entering the holy city to come as king, to reestablish rightful rule, to throw off Roman domination and occupation. Jesus does not come in the way one might have expected there are no royal chariots. And I, I looked up pictures. I was going to put some up here of like what it looked like, both like Ro Roman conquest marching into a city and then like the, the Roman royal like victory march. And there was armor. There were chariots. There were horses. There was fanfare. This was a big deal. With Jesus, there were no 
there were no horses, there were no elephants, there was no armor. Just Jesus and people and a donkey. Even if the angel armies were with him, they weren't visible. There was no voice from heaven like when he was baptized. There was no choir of angels appearing in the sky like they did to the shepherds, to, you know. It was a humble entrance, an unguarded one. Considering what Jesus knew was waiting for him and what people may have expected, he may have been justified in bringing just a little extra pomp. Or just, could you just shout it out just a little bit for me, angels? Maybe some bodyguards? But no, it seems very simple indeed. Can we live unguarded lives? Not unwise lives, but innocent and entrusted I feel like this is a live one for me at the moment. Uh, maybe you have a place like this too. I'm in a new career, <laughs> a new workplace, and I feel super insecure most days. I want so much to armor up every day before I go to work, to make my skin thick, to think about how I can present myself the best, what others think of me, how I'm coming off, how will I fit in, I am a 47-year-old woman, for heaven's sakes. What am I doing thinking about this? And yet the temptation is real and natural, I would even say. But there's a different way to come into this place. Is it strange to you that in that passage, half of the passage is about getting the donkey? Like there are very specific instructions. Like there's a whole thing happening here and we hear a lot about like you're going to go to the place and there's going to be a donkey and then someone's going to ask you and then you're going to say this and then it, they went to the place and there was a donkey and someone asked them and they said that and then they got the donkey and then they brought it back to Jesus. Like it's a whole series of events. And, and Jesus, <laughs> I think this is in part because it's fulfilling a prophecy which Matthew writes out for us in his account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. It's from Zechariah 9.9. 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. With his specific, this is good. It's fulfilling a prophecy. That's good. Jesus comes on a donkey. That's good. This is our savior, and we need to own and embrace that. But I also wonder, with all this attention to this act, if being unguarded and coming in humility takes more intentionality than I might give it. Do you know what I mean? Like, this took some forethought. Jesus shows me on his donkey to not be afraid of humility, to not be worried about how I'm perceived, to not try to defend myself or explain myself or make myself fit into a box. I want to armor up so much to gird myself in all the wrong ways. I found the most helpful thing to remember is that God is my defender. That he's the one who's led me here and that I can entrust myself to his care and keeping. This is what it says in 1 Peter about Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Instead of girding myself up in armor, in self-protective schemes, judgment, 
indifference, cynicism. I could go on with the different ways that we armor ourselves. God asks us to put on a different covering, and I'm pretty sure this is the covering that Jesus has here as he enters Jerusalem. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you are dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When we come to our places of suffering, do we armor up or show up humbly? Are we ready for the fight? How can we intentionally choose humility and entrust ourselves to God? I was thinking about this recently because I was talking with some friends and um, I said, I really want to see God in my place of work and I really need help to do that because I forget. I forget to look. I forget to ask him for help. I forget to say, hey, Lord, where are you here? Or guide my hands here or help me to love this person in front of me. And we were talking about building in rituals in our day, moments and actions to remind ourselves, right? Um, I think it was Michelle who, Kennedy who shared with me about how she knew someone who, when they got out of their car in the morning to head to their workplace, before they shut the door, they would wait just to feel the breeze or the wind, and they would be reminded of the Spirit. They're just going to wait on the Spirit, and then they're going to shut the door. I have to change into hospital-issued scrubs every day before work. What if I use this as an opportunity to intentionally take off my own armor and schemes and to put on the humility and compassion and kindness that God would clothe me with? In your hard places, what might help you to show up with humility, unguarded and entrusted? Walking with Jesus is full of surprises, even in the hard stuff. Be curious about where and how God will show up with love and goodness. Don't miss that on this day, as Jesus heads toward what will be betrayal, isolation, torture, and death, he receives shouts of praise and blessing. And he doesn't silence the crowds or rebuke them, even though they will likely be some of the same ones who will call for his crucifixion only days later. These out of the same mouths, right? He doesn't call them out. And we know Jesus doesn't mind calling people out. He does it all the time. But in this moment, somehow he lets this be. And I wonder, might he even be receiving this as a blessing? as a surprising gift from God on a troubled and troubling road. Maybe he recognizes what's true in it. He will save them. <laughs> he is blessed. <laughs> he has come in the name of the Lord. He is the Savior, even if these truths are coming from those mouths that are sort of duplicitous. He doesn't seem resentful of it or dismissive, he simply receives it, perhaps even with thankfulness. Thank you, God, for reminding me who I am and what this is all about. Earlier this month, I shared in my home group that I was struggling at work, <laughs> new work, 
Um, I'm a new nurse, and there's a lot to get used to, and it's hard work and a steep learning curve. And the voices in my head that had been telling me I couldn't hack it, I was too old, wasn't cut out for this, were growing louder and seemed to carry more weight. I felt discouraged. I've been so convinced that this was the place that God was calling me, that he had led me, that he had placed me here. Did I get it wrong? I asked my home group to pray for me. The next day, something unusual happened. I wrote this in my journal. At the end of my day, a woman that I had never met before and have not seen since randomly had this conversation with me. And she was so weirdly encouraging to me. This is what I wrote. She was weirdly encouraging. I don't know her, and she does not know me. With tears in her eyes, with tears in her eyes, she told me how important it is that I am there, that I am needed and valuable and bring essential roles, essential gifts to this role, this place, these families. I'm like, who are you, though, really? Did someone send you here? And then she's still talking. And you know when you're having, like, a side conversation in your head? So, like, they're talking. And I'm like, is this you, Lord? <laughs> Did you send her here? What is going on right now? I wrote, it, wrote in my journal. It definitely felt like a God moment. I'd like to say that work has been all better since then, but it hasn't. It's gotten worse and harder, and there have been more tears. But what if on the road, even at the destination, in these hard places, God shows up in surprising ways? I will receive it. One thing I know is that God, our God, the one we have embraced, is a surprising God. Could we be curious about how God might be present? Or are we so focused sometimes, and I do this so much, on our own suffering, what is real is real and it is hard, but that we can't hear the shouts of goodness and blessing around us? Do you think that Jesus allowed himself to feel joy in that moment? Do you think he was like, oh my gosh, look at all these people laying palm branches down? how we felt seeing those kids run around with the palm branches. He's like, yeah, I know. They're of two minds. Later, they're going to want me dead. And I know I'm in for it. But right now, in this moment, oh, that's beautiful. Do we allow ourselves to feel joy even in seasons or places of suffering? How might we see and hear him if we could be open to that? Maybe in an empty chair. <laughs> Maybe in words uttered from mouths that may not even realize what they are saying. I have not seen that woman since. I don't even know if she works at the hospital. Like, I literally don't know who she is. Is there a blessing you need to receive even in the expectation of suffering, even in the experience of suffering? Receive this from God, even as he continues to lead you on down that road. Now, the words that the folks on the road were shouting weren't random blessings, right? Um, Hosanna, which um, is one of my daughter's names, I know this. Hosanna means save us now. It is like an imperative, like with urgency. And it came to be also the shout of praise and adoration. 
But those words that they said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus would have known these words from Psalm 118. And perhaps even, I'm, I'm guessing that even those short phrases would have evoked the whole passage for him. What do you think? He's traveling up to Jerusalem, entering the city, knowing what is to come, palm branches thrown down for him, shouts of praise and blessing rising. These are the words from Psalm 118 that would have sounded in his ears. I'm going to read them for us. As I read, worship team, you guys can come on back up. And I just want you to rest into these words and imagine hearing them together with Jesus. You can close your eyes if you want to. You can let the words just sit with you. You can read them together. They'll be on the screen. It's Palm Sunday. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. 
The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Lord, would you be with us and let these words sink into us. God, would you let our defenses crumble. All the ways where we hold ourselves up you just let our hands go open now let us be held by you let us find our rest in you you are our defender our surprising God doesn't leave us. And you are good, Lord. Your love endures forever. from God, his blessing, his care, his presence. 